Well, we are continuing here in this Advent season uh, in the book of Isaiah. And uh, we are going to be in Isaiah chapter 61 this morning. Uh, this, this text uh, might sound familiar as we did it in our responsive reading this morning. Um, this is also uh, the text that Jesus used for his very first sermon uh, that we have recorded in the book of Luke. So, uh, we are going to be here in Isaiah chapter 61, and it goes like this. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. And you will be called priests of the Lord. And you will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of His righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seed to grow, so the Sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. This is God's Word. So Jesus, when He kind of explodes on the scene in the book of Luke, He shows up to the synagogue and, you know, grabs the scroll of Isaiah and it says that He he found the place where this passage was, what we now call Isaiah 61. Um, for him to find it, they didn't, it wasn't numbered or anything like that. You know, he had to actually kind of do a quick read um, and find this passage. And it says he sat down and, and, he, and he read this. And as he did, he then said, this has been fulfilled today. This has been fulfilled today. He this is, this is who Jesus is. This, this, this opening bit, right? He, he, says, he says that this is, this is who I am. He says, this is, 
you know, he's that he is the anointed one, and that he has come to proclaim good news to the poor. Then look at what else Jesus says that he shows up to do, right? To bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness for the prisoners. Now, now there's some there's some discussion in the literature about this release from darkness for the prisoners because that sounds kind of weird. You would think eh, release from darkness, maybe a release from, you know, prison or something like that. What's what's the deal with, with darkness and prisoners? Well, when you look at the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew, instead of it saying here uh, release from darkness for the prisoners, it says release from darkness for the blind, which actually kind of makes more sense. And the Septuagint is actually older than the Hebrew that we have. So it seems like uh, that is probably a better translation. And, And if you have your Bible in front of you, there's probably like a little tiny superscript there next to the word prisoners. Then if you look down at the bottom of the page, you find that same superscript, it'll say, blind, see Septuagint, right? Um, So you kind of have to wonder, why didn't we just go ahead and put blind in there? Well, that's because the Hebrew we have translates to prisoners. Um, So uh, prisoners, blind, however you want to translate it, either way, there is this sense of hope. But this idea of, I think this idea of him restoring sight to the blind fits really well here. It says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor in the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. He's, come, he's coming to comfort, to provide for those who grieve. This, this, is what, this is who Christ is. This is the description of who Jesus is. Right? He is one that is bringing, bringing righteousness in, in binding up the brokenhearted. This picture of Christ that He applies to Himself, right? This is not stuff that somebody else looking back decided this is who Jesus was. No, this is who Jesus says He is. This is Jesus' self-description. When He sits down for His first sermon, He says, let me tell you who I am. I am the one that is coming to bind up the hearts of the brokenhearted. I am here to take care of you. I've got you. This, <laughs> this should challenge us a little bit. I think especially us as American Christians who live in this time where, we, where we've got so much power. Right? We have got, we, we, hold, we hold office all over the place. We have all this worldly power. And if you were to walk out into the streets and ask people, what is Jesus about? Would they say He is about binding up the brokenhearted, proclaiming freedom to the captives, restoring, <laughs> restoring sight to the blind? Is that what they would say? Or would they say something else? Would they say, I don't know. From what I see in Christians, Jesus is about stuff and about power and about gathering big crowds 
and about, you know, politics. That is not what Jesus was about. Jesus was about coming alongside the people who were on the fringes, on the margins, the people who were asking questions and doubting and wrestling and wondering out loud, where is God? That's what Jesus was coming to do. He wasn't coming, wasn't coming to help the people who had all the stuff already, to have all the answers. Which is why, interestingly, in that first sermon in Luke, he also makes another connection and says, hey, just like Elijah and Elisha, who helped these non-Jews out, so, so is this message. This message is going to go out even to the Gentiles. It is going to go bigger and broader than just, than just the Jewish people. And the folks who he was preaching to lost their minds. They were really ticked. They were, they were not happy. And Jesus' response was, eh, a prophet's never accepted in his own hometown. It is what it is. And he went on from there. And he ends up getting himself crucified. So, you know, he's got that going for him. Right? But you see, it's interesting, isn't it? When we look at who Jesus is, this, this Christ who goes, who goes to the marginalized, this Christ who goes to the brokenhearted, the people who have kind of the religious power, who have the religious sway, who have, all the, who have all the control of the religious systems and all that kind of stuff, what's their response? Their response is anger and frustration and maybe jealousy. They lose their minds. And not a thing has changed. Because... When we start talking about wanting to care for the people who are on the margins, the people who are being left and ignored, the people who are being looked past, we say, no, we want to care for them. We want to show up. We want to love them. We want to be present with those people. What do the people in power, the kind of the religious elites say? No, no, no. Not those people. Not them. Not they. They got to hold them out here. They're not. No, no, no. We cannot go there because that's icky. Or as my daughter would say, that gives me the ick. Right? This is, this is a new thing you guys can use with, with the youngsters. The ick. Right? Usually it translates to, you know, when they start talking to a, another person and they're starting to date or whatever, and it's the thing that they decide they don't like about that person. Ah, that, that gives me the ick, right? And they tuck their sweatpants into their socks or something. That gives me the ick. Can't do that. That's the thing. So this is, they, they, we, they look at, they, we look at one another and, and we look at the people that we're going to serve and care if we want to go to the marginals, we want to go to the people who, who the religious elite have decided are untouchables, that we can't talk to them, we can't go to them. That, that gives them the ick. And, it, and it's just that they just go, no, ew, not them. And depending on which community you're in, 
and where you're at, the, the them can look very, very different. Right? I mean, for some people, it's, 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 it's the gay community. For some people, it's, it's racial minorities. For some, just pick, pick your thing. And, and it's like, oh, we can't go there. No, not them. We're in charge. We've got to hold on to all of this. And yet, this Jesus, he says, I'm com- coming, I've come to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, to release from darkness the blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion. And what is he doing? I love this line. He says, I am bestowing on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. What does Jesus do? He goes to the people on the margins. He goes to the people who are struggling, who are questioning everything, who are rustling, who are, who are feeling hopeless, who are feeling as though they are in ashes. They are in this process of mourning, right? When you read through the Bible, you know, people who are, who are feeling guilty, what do they do? They rip their clothes and put on sackcloth and ashes. They put ash on their face to make it look like, to make, so that everybody knows they're in this process of grieving over someone or their sin. They're feeling guilty and they just put this, these ashes on themselves. And what, is, what does Isaiah say about the, this, this one, this anointed one, and how does Jesus applies to himself? He says, no. I don't, instead of ashes, I come and bring them a crown of beauty. He changes their very identity. This isn't surface level stuff that he's doing here. Right? He's not just writing a check or something saying, here you go, you're good now. No, he is changing them from the inside. No longer are you going to mourn in sackcloth and ashes. He says, no, I now crown you with a crown of beauty. You are a beautiful bride now. This is who you are. He changes their identity. That's that's what Christ does. And if that's what Christ does, then what do we become? We, We become these people. We become the ones who are wearing crowns of beauty. He says in verse 7, instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion and everlasting joy will be yours. He says out in verse 11, as the soil makes the sprout come up, a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. He is, he is changing, changing us. At the end of verse 3, it says, They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. These are the ones who will wear the crown of beauty. The ones who will also be known as oaks of righteousness for the display of God's splendor. Do you look in the mirror and think to yourself, Ah, oak of righteousness. Displayer of God's splendor. No, we don't. Most of us look in the mirror and see ashes. 
Most of us look in the mirror and see guilt and shame. Most of us look in the mirror and think, I'm not doing enough. I need to do more. I need to be better. Most of us look in the mirror and see something less than. Most of us look in the mirror and we see those people. That's not who we are anymore. That's not who you are anymore. No. Jesus has come. At one point, the reality is, is everybody here, in some way, shape, or form, was of those people. You were outside. You're on the outside looking in in some way. And Christ came and changed you. He changed you from the inside out. He now looks at you and says, Ah, oak of righteousness, crowned with beauty, a display of my splendor. This this is who you are. This is who you are. And yet again, we look out in the world, and I and I and I think if we walked outside, you know, walk over to Walmart this morning, right? Let's walk, just walk into Walmart and you do a quick survey people at Walmart and say, hey, what do you think of Christians? Does, does oak of righteousness describe the Christians you know? Do Christians display the splendor of the glory of God? And we all laugh uncomfortably because we don't. And, and we know we know that when people say, what, what are Christians like? They're judgmental, bigoted, unloving, uncaring, hate mongers. How did we get there? How did we get there? How did we get so far away from our Savior? I think we got there because we forgot about this. We have forgotten who we are. We, we are not God. We are not the one who makes the judgments. We are not the one who makes the decisions about people's eternal destiny. We are not the one who gets to determine who are the sinners and who are the saints? That's not our calling. That's not our identity. No, our identity is to be an oak of righteousness that displays the splendor of the divine majesty. That is our job. We are mirrors. We are to walk through this world mirroring the splendor of God, showing the world what an oak of righteousness looks like. That's who we are because that's who Christ has made us to be. But we have lost sight of that. We think that we are gods. We think we are the arbiters of righteousness and justice. No, we are to pursue righteousness. We are to pursue justice as mirrors 
showing the world this divine splendor. See, we're, we're kind of like kids, right? There's this saying, and it's a wise saying. It says to the 13-year-old, move out right now while you know all the answers. Right? 13-year-olds know everything. They have every answer. They know how the world ought to work. They know that they are 122.5% smarter than their parents. They know that they are the smartest human being that has ever walked the face of the earth. Right? Which is why 13-year-olds are constantly coming into conflict with mom and dad. Which is why 13-year-olds are constantly coming into conflict with their teachers, with their principals, with one another, with the whole world. Because 13-year-olds know everything. There's also, uh, I was a psychology major in college, and uh, us psychology majors are the worst. We take Psych 100, and we learn a couple of big words, and then all of a sudden, we know everything there is to know about human psychology. Because <laughs> I'm a psychology major. Right? Damage is done all over the place by psychology majors who all of a sudden start psychoanalyzing their friends and start, you know, trying to figure out and, and do counseling with their roommates and with, you know, anyone that will listen to them, anyone that has breath. We mess all kinds of people up. We know just enough to be real real dangerous. So just like 13-year-olds, psychology majors run amok out in the world and, and are out there hurting people. And then there's us Christians. Then there's us Christians. The people, the people who are supposed to be oaks of righteousness, displays of splendor, people wearing the crown of beauty, people who ought to know about grace and mercy and compassion, and empathy. Following a God who says, my identity is binding up the brokenhearted. We should be the ones that are out there on that bleeding edge, that leading edge of caring for people. And yet, and yet, we, it's like, it's like we have this selective mind where we miss the word pursuing righteousness, pursuing justice. And we, we have decided that we are judges. It's like we are like 13-year-olds running around in the world acting as though we know everything. And really we, are, we're just know, we just know enough to be dangerous sometimes. But it's not even so much that because we know more than that. We know more than that. It's, it's more so that we have forgotten who we are. And so every year we do this Advent thing. And every year we look at so many of the same stories and passages leading up to the coming of Christ. Why? Because every year we need the reminder of who we are. And so at the beginning of our year, remember that is what Advent means. It's the beginning, the start. This is our new year. So we're starting into this new year. 
with the reminder of who we are. We are a people who are acquainted with disgrace. We are a people who who are acquainted with our own sin and our own guilt and wearing sackcloth and ashes. That's who we are. That is, that is who we were. But now who we are are a people who no longer know those things. We now know grace. We now know mercy. We are now planted as oaks of righteousness who display the splendor of God for the world to see. This is who you are. This is who I am. And so now, as we start this year, let's endeavor together to be a people who walk out these doors and say, I want to display the splendor of Christ. I want to display the splendor of our God. And how do we do that? We do that by doing the things Jesus did. We bind up the brokenhearted. We come alongside those in disgrace and say, no, there is grace to you. There is mercy to you. We, we, we like Christ, in verse 8, say, I love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my, right? These are the things that we are to embrace. Just like Christ did. So if we are going to be the displayers of His splendor, of His righteousness out in the world, then we are to do the things that He did. We bind up the brokenhearted. And we come alongside those on the fringes. People just like us. People who know what it is like to be covered in ashes. And we carry with us now crowns of beauty. And we say, hey, crown of beauty for you. Let me show you grace. Here's a crown of beauty for you. Let me show you grace. We go and we carry with us grace and mercy and compassion and bind up the broken hearted. Because that is who we are. That is who we are. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank You that Christ has shown us what to do by doing it Himself. This, this Jesus who binds up the brokenhearted, who comes alongside those who are on the fringes and the outsides, carries with Him crowns of beauty, to give to those who are in ashes and sackcloth. Oh Lord, would you help us to be that kind of person? Would you, would you help us to be oaks of righteousness, displaying to the world the splendor of your glory by caring for those on the fringes and on the outside who are looking in? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.